This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning. So today is uh, the 7th of December. And tomorrow is the 8th. The 8th of December is uh, the time in the Zen tradition where we celebrate Buddha's awakening, his great enlightenment. Um, so Rohatsu Sashin, which is what we're in right now, we're, this is our day one of a seven-day retreat where we do a lot of sitting and bowing and chanting and working and eating and pooping, and we do it, we do it all, <laughs> silently. <laughs> but this is our day one of that uh, adventure that we're, uh, we're embarking on, and it's a whole, the whole retreat is a commemoration of the Buddha's story of awakening from his time of sitting. And so here we are on our day one. <clears throat> Enlightenment is, a, is an interesting um, concept. Every so often we get, uh, you know, on the website there's a contact us, contact AZC form. And uh, I don't know, how, how often do you think we get some kind of like... A couple times, yeah. But pretty regularly we get a, uh, an inquiry about enlightenment. <laughs> How do I become enlightened? Look <laughs> up on the contact ACC form. <laughs> or, or even, I think I've been enlightened. Can you, <laughs> Can you verify? verify? <laughs> <laughs> so at least during Sashin, we have a, um, the plan of Sashin is, um, Sashin means gathering the heart-mind. So it makes it sound as if normally the heart-mind may not be gathered. Right? It may be a little bit scattered. And I can attest that when I don't carve out space in my life to sit in silence for hour after hour, day after day, I get pretty scattered myself. I get scattered whether I am cultivating awareness. <laughs> So we, we have this monkey mind that um, uh, we all live with. It's our, it's our karmic life to have this uh, human tendency to be looking, seeking, wanting, not liking, liking, having opinions, clinging to those opinions, finding ourselves uh, suffering. Sometimes we're in bliss, sometimes we're not. So in a sashin, we gather this heart-mind and we cultivate the energy of turning inward rather than turning outward. We set aside our usual affairs and, uh, and simplify. We try to simplify. For those of you who are uh, helping with running a retreat, by ringing bells and serving. It may not sound, feel so simple. <laughs> We're doing some new forms during a retreat like this. But as we go day by day, we start to settle further and further into the ground of our, uh, our own being, which is basically what we are uh, 
touching into, hopefully with each breath and each moment, settling into the ground of our own being. Suzuki Roshi, um, we've been reading, uh, we usually read a little bit of Suzuki Roshi when we, in the morning, after we sit and had our service, we'll go out, out to the foyer, we'll circle up and we'll introduce ourselves by name like you all just did recently. But then we'll have a, uh, we'll usually start with a quote by Suzuki Roshi or uh, somebody talking about Suzuki Roshi, who is the founder of the, Soto, the uh, San Francisco Zen Center of which Austin Zen Center is one of the branching streams from San Francisco Zen Center. And uh, we normally read from Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, or Not Always So, these two compilations of Suzy Gershi lectures. Both of them have disappeared. They've kind of walked off. Um, but right now, we're, we're, uh, we're reading through this little book here, which is called Zen is Right Here. And it's teaching stories, anecdotes uh, from Suzuki Gershi's life, mostly at uh, City Center and at Tassajara. Um, I just wanted to share a couple of uh, short stories that he, he, where he talks about enlightenment. One of them, speaking of the silence, which we're not in right now. Uh, one day during a tea break, a student standing next to Suzuki Rishi asked, So, what do you think about all of us crazy Zen students? Roshi said, I think you're all enlightened until you open your mouths. <laughs> So also, uh, enlightenment, I have to say, is not so, um, in the Soto Zen tradition, at least as I have been practicing it and, and in the schools, the, the, the temples that I've practiced, uh, enlightenment is not something that we talk about very much. In fact, uh, if anything, it's kind of downplayed. Here's another uh, short story. A student told Suzuki about an experience in which he had dissolved into amazing spaciousness. Dissolved into amazing spaciousness. Yes, you could call that enlightenment, Suzuki said. But it is best to forget about it. And how's your work coming? So in some sense, it's because uh, you could say, like, why is it that enlightenment is kind of downplayed in this school of Zen? It might be because oftentimes people uh, cling to the idea of enlightenment. They think that's the, there's a goal somewhere away from where I am right now. And if I could only X, Y, and Z, try harder, sit longer, study further, uh, drop my ego, get a better job, make more money, you know, it, it goes on and on. It can go on endlessly, right, to have a gaining idea. Um, like enlightenment. Enlightenment itself can be a gaining idea. And we can get caught up in that idea and forget. While we're caught up, we forget that we're here right now. Hence, Zen is right here. <laughs> so having a gaining idea is something that we, uh, we try and let go of, right? And throughout um, many teaching stories, you hear this kind of undercutting of this idea of like, oh, I'm going to grab something, I'm going to attain something. Like, who is it that wants, who seeks, who needs 
to attain something. Who is it that feels like being right here, right now is not enough? It's the ego. It's our ego. It's our monkey mind that's constantly looking for the next thing. As we head into a uh, holiday season like we are, we get to see uh, our, our whole culture participate in this, um, this seeking, gaining, right? What's the next greatest, latest gadget that will make me and my life feel so much better? Briefly. As I mentioned, this, this retreat, this uh, Rohatsu Sashin, comes at the, uh, the end. It's a culmination not just of, uh, like, when, as we're building this Sashin, commemorating the Buddha's enlightenment, but it is also the end of a, I guess this time it was an eight-week-long practice period that we've been uh, holding here at the Austin Zen Center. Eight weeks of uh, a little extra concentrated effort. So um, people who joined the practice period, or maybe, maybe even people who work in the practice period, um, either by participating in a class, by participating in some of the readings that we've been doing, this practice period, we've been focusing on the mind training techniques of Lojong practice, which is uh, in particular looking at the 59 slogans and taking those up in our daily life. Um, the beginning of this practice period, we did a retreat, our first day-long uh, sit. We did a retreat where we took up the first of the Lojong teachings, which is called Training in the Preliminaries. These preliminaries, you see them everywhere, but we focused on them. And the, the four, four uh, preliminaries in the first Lojong statement, number one, the preciousness of our human life. Number two, the fact that life ends, that we will all come to an end, that death will come. Number three, the law of karma, this casting about and groping that we do, right? It comes from beginningless time. We're conditioned, we're conditioned beings. And so part of what we do when we practice Zen or practice uh, waking up is we become very, uh, very quiet and still. And we watch very carefully our own conditioning we try not to act on our conditioning. Sometimes we, I mean, we inevitably will act on our conditioning. But we might give a pause. This is practicing with, uh, with our karma. The third preliminary. And the fourth is looking at our ego. Again, this is our conditionality. Looking at our ego selves and seeing how uh, we chase and seek and disrupt our natural calm in an effort uh, to become something, just to hold on to something, to our identity, or even uh, a, a fancy of enlightenment, right? Who is it that is seeking enlightenment? Is it the small self? Is it our ego? Do we not feel worthy? Do we not feel like we have enough? 
So we focused on all of those preliminaries in our first day long. And then as we went through the practice period, we, we went through uh, slogan by slogan. And as some of the people who, are in the, who have been in the practice period have commented numerous times, taking up these slogans, oftentimes there's a progression to them. And you take up a slogan. So another example, some examples of some slogans are Regard all dharmas as dreams. Although experiences may seem solid there, but passing memories. Or, in post-meditation, be a child of illusion. What do these things mean? Begin with the sequence of sending out with the breath, sending and receiving with yourself. Begin with yourself first. Some of these slogans, they kind of in practicing them day after day, you end up going down a little, a little further down the path. But inevitably, you go a little bit this way, and then you, you find out, oh, wait a minute, while sitting and noticing, you notice, maybe, that you're leaning. Like this, to the left. And soon enough, the slogans change, and the next slogan says, okay, drop that, now go this way. And now go that way, right? In our uh, fundamental, our universal instructions of Zazen, which we chanted this morning in our morning service, the Fukan Zazengi, written by Dogen Zenji. The Fukan Zazengi is a, basically, it's meditation instructions, although he says it's not really meditation. But it's an instruction on how to sit. It's an instruction, actually, on waking up, on practice realization. Basic instructions. And he says... Find your posture. Sit upright fully. Don't lean to the left. Don't lean to the right. right. How do you know whether you're leaning to the left or the right? You look inside. You don't think about it. You come inside and you settle. You settle the mind. You open your awareness. As we went on in the practice period, we did a weekend retreat, and we started to focus on cultivating compassion. We did a weekend of working with uh, the practices of Tonglen, or sending and receiving on the breath. This is a, this is hard practice. Sounds lovely, right? Cultivating compassion? It's tough. <laughs> you kind of, uh, you know, people were a little rough around the edges at the end of that retreat. Why? Because it's serious business to be open to the, uh, to the suffering that exists in the world, but also most, maybe like starting off, to really be open to one's own suffering and experience of suffering and the causes of that suffering. Along the way, we talked quite a bit about the uh, idea of bodhicitta, Bodhicitta being an aspiration to wake up. Bodhi meaning like Buddha. And citta meaning the mind. The mind or heart-mind of waking up, of becoming awake. Again, enlightenment. Now the aspiration to wake up is an aspiration for what? What is this waking up? 
waking up to again to the ground of one's being, to one's true nature, stripped away of things that are extraneous, things that we uh, that may prance about as uh, our identity. They may look like our nature, things like you know our basic personality and things like that. Those are so unessential to our being, though, right? When we become very still and we let things go, they don't need to, uh, things don't get stuck to us in the same way when we're constantly, with each breath, letting go, letting go. What becomes revealed is our conditionality, right? The causes of our suffering, the very fact or very uh, existence of our suffering things that hurt, when we become still and quiet, we can begin to notice those. And then we begin to cultivate compassion, starting with ourselves and extending it to every being without exception. And this is a big part of bodhicitta, especially in our school and in the Mahayana tradition. Bodhicitta is not just the desire to wake up for oneself, but the desire is the desire to wake up for the benefit of all beings. Now, it may be that what brings people to practice may not be a concern for all beings. Right? We start where we are. Oftentimes, we start with noticing we come to practice. Why? Because we notice that we have some uh, unsatisfactoriness in our lives. In the story of the Buddha, the Buddha had everything that uh, his heart could want. Right? His parents made, very, made, made sure to provide Siddhartha Gautama with everything that he could want. The most splendid fabrics to clothe himself with, the most delightful uh, delicacies to eat, beautiful instruments constantly playing whenever he wanted them, uh, beautiful maidens dancing, everything. Do you all know the story of the Buddha? Yeah. So then you know that uh, his father, the king, Suddhodana, was told when the Buddha was born, was told that he would either become a great leader, a king, and succeed him and take over the kingdom, or he would become a patched robe monk, a great teacher. The king did not like the second option. <laughs> which is why he, he really tried his hardest to keep Siddhartha, the young Siddhartha, happy, content. But we all know what happened, right? At some point, he realized he wasn't happy, that all these things, all these great divine pleasures that were offered to him didn't quite reach it, didn't quite reach the depths of his being. And so what did he do? He snuck out. <laughs> he snuck out of the palace and went out. And what did he see? Several times he snuck out. And he saw numerous sights. What did he see? What's the first thing he saw? An old person. <clears throat> An old person. 
Now, the king was uh, apparently not that old and had kept old people <laughs> away from his son. Yeah. And then what did he see? A sick person. Again, he was aghast. What is this? What is wrong with this person? This person is coughing. This person has boils. This person is you know, missing a limb. Whatever it was, right? The Buddha saw an old person and then he saw a sick person. And then what did he saw? What did he see? A dead person. He saw a corpse. He had never known that this could ever happen. What is this? Death. After he saw these three sights, he went out one last time. And what did he see? A monk. A monk. Yes, he saw a mendicant walking and just and begging begging for his food. And something, we don't know what it was, but maybe something that he saw on that monk's face or in the monk's deportment made the Buddha, or made the uh, Siddhartha, at that point he was not yet the Buddha, what did it made him, make him do? It made him go off in search of enlightenment. In search of, in particular, what is all this suffering? Why do we need to suffer? Why? How do we, how do we uh, escape what looks like old age, sickness, and death? Is there a way to escape this? And as you know, maybe, Siddhartha Gautama went out of the palace. He snuck out. He had to sneak out with his attendant. And he went off and became a monk. Stripped down, he, he no longer, he didn't take any of his wealth. He walked away from all of it. He walked away from his wife, his newborn son. <coughs> Left them in the care of his family in the palace. And walked out to practice. And as the story goes, the Buddha went through and found, he found many different teachers who taught him many different things. And he excelled at all the different things that he encountered. Uh, and a lot of the practices that he took up were practices of very strict and severe asceticism. Yeah? So ascetic did the Buddha become in his years of practice, mastering uh, all these different techniques, these yogic techniques of uh, awakening, he, had, he was down to, it said, eating one grain of rice a day. As you can imagine, he got quite sick and emaciated and uh, basically sitting on the banks of, a, of the Ganges, he killed over at some point. He probed the depths of his conditioning, of his own suffering. And at some point, he realized, maybe this is not the way. Maybe strict, severe asceticism is not the way. And that's when he sat up, after he was given, uh, shown a little bit of kindness from a passing milkmaid, Sujata, who we chanted her name this morning as well. She uh, saw him, thought he was a ghost, and decided to give him an, uh, some of her milk, her rice milk which nourished him just enough so that he could sit up and uh, 
and reflect and pause. He'd been on this trajectory of strict asceticism. He pulled back from that and just contemplated. It is said, some, some accounts he did this for seven weeks, other accounts it's seven days that he sat just open to his experience. When we were practicing with these Lojong slogans, as I mentioned, oftentimes you'd find you'd be practicing along with these slogans and you'd find yourself getting a little bit maybe on the emptiness side of things. And then the next slogan would come along and pull you back to the relative, back to the conventional reality. Right? This back and forth, neither leaning to the right nor to the left, right? Both in your body and in your mind, this, this finding one's balance right in the middle. This is the practice of the middle way. The only way we can do this practice of finding our balance right in the middle is by deep listening to what's happening and attending, attuning. We have this opportunity during these seven days to do this. <clears throat> oh, here, let me do another Suzuki's quote. We were all fascinated with the notion of enlightenment. But Suzuki Roshi said it was not the point that needed emphasis. Once in an interview, what he means is dokusan or practice discussion, I decided to address the matter directly. I am here to be enlightened, I said. He shot me a piercing glance and then quietly replied, if your practice continues, enlightenment will come. But even if it does not, if your practice is good, it is almost the same. So whether it's amazing spaciousness or just, you know, ordinary practice. Right? Getting back to the Fukan Zazengi, in the Fukan Zazengi, it starts out by saying that the Dharma is free and untrammeled. There's no need to, you know, have any concentrated effort, right? The Dharma, our awakening, our, our true nature, our true peace is available always right here, right now. So why, why would even, you know, what is the use of, uh, of practicing? Why go off here and there to practice? And Dogen says, and yet, right, even if the Dharma is right here, right now, the reason that we practice is to uh, touch down into our experience. Dogen says, if there's the slightest discrepancy, then the ways is distant as heaven from earth. Right? If the least like or dislike arises, the mind can be lost in confusion. It's so easy to pull us off our, away from our, uh, uh, our concentration of our awareness. It's so easy. And then uh, in the Fukuza Zengi, Dogen goes on to uh, give the examples of the Buddha and all the effort that he went through. He talks about Bodhidharma, the first ancestor in China. Bodhidharma's nine years of wall sitting, nine years of staring at the wall, sitting. So he brings up some of these, uh, these ancient worthies, he calls them, the Buddha, 
Bodhidharma, the whole lineage of our ancestors, all these people who put in uh, their deepest effort to wake up. So that's what we're here to do, putting in our deepest effort to wake up. Again, though, to not get attached to this idea of enlightenment. And in the Fukan Zazengi as well, Dogen says, after all this, he says all this stuff about how, you know, look how hard the effort, how much effort was put into awakening. And then he says, however, have no designs on becoming a Buddha. Zazen has nothing to do with whether you're sitting or lying down. So again, you see this back and forth. On the one hand, it's this way. But don't get too comfortable over here, because on the other hand, which you can't ignore, it's this way. But don't stick, stick around there too long either. Right? How do you find your balance? How do you find the middle? And then he talks about uh, thinking of not thinking. How do you do that? How do you think of not thinking? Again, it's not about what we think about. It's not about our concepts of waking up. We can let go of all of our concepts and just come back to this moment. What is included in this moment? When you, when you look deeply, what's included in this moment is your, your breath, your posture, your body, how you're sitting. And then your mind, how your mind is, what your mind is up to. It's not like we're going to ex ex exterminate or eradicate our thinking. However, it's not found, our way is not found within our thinking about it. And we let go of the thinking and the conceptualizing. Dogen calls it discriminative thinking. Letting go over and over again because it's right there. It comes up in the next moment. And when we get quiet and look and pay attention, we see it. Monkey mind rising up, wanting this, not wanting that. Wanting to become a Buddha. Wanting to throw it all away and go to the beach. Fukan <laughs> Zazegi then goes on to talk about how uh, this enlightenment, whether it's brought about by you know, something innocuous. It could be the sound of a pebble hitting bamboo. It could be the sound of a server dropping a spoon. It could be a finger, a banner, a needle, or a mallet. However, it cannot be understood by your discriminative thinking. This is where we get caught. Dogen says, it must be deportment beyond hearing and seeing prior to our knowing or not knowing, perceiving or not perceiving. There's no difference between, you don't need to be smart, you don't need to be uh, special in any way. The ability to sit down and be aware of your experience is open to everyone without exception. You don't need to be a liberal or a conservative, Democrat or Republican, you don't need to have, uh, have anything other than your own awareness in order to have Zazen happen. 
And then he goes on like uh, in, the, in the same vein as the, the, the preliminaries that I mentioned. He talks about how you, we, have all, uh, we are all human. We've all been born as human beings. And not to waste that. He says, do not use this time in vain. You have gained the pivotal opportunity of human form. And yet, right? So we've, we've been blessed with being born into a human body. And third, the third uh, preliminary is that we're all going to die. Form and substance like the dew on the grass, destiny like a dart of lightning, emptied in an instant, vanished in a flash. This is our lives. Our lives go by so quickly. And he ends by saying, long accustomed to groping for the elephant. I think of this as our karma, right? Long accustomed to trying this and trying that and seeking after this, right? Looking for the next thing, maybe the next book that I read, maybe the next practice that I can take up. Long accustomed to groping, feeling our way. The groping uh, at the elephant is the, is the story of the blind men all touching the elephant and having a different experience of what it is. And one says it's like a, uh, a log, and one says it's like a tree trunk, and one says it's like a paper, right? depending on what part of the elephant they're able to, to, uh, to feel. Dogen says, do not be suspicious of the true dragon. What is the true dragon? Anyone? Doesn't that relate to that story about the man who hugged dragons until one knocked on his door? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if that's the one it's, re it's referring to, but yeah, it could be very well. You, you do know the story of the man who loved dragons so much he collected them? Like collected little figurines of dragons, carved ivory and, and so forth. And he had such an amazing collection that at some point, a real dragon <laughs> uh, heard about this man and his great collection and decided he wanted to go you know, check it out. So he comes to the man's door and he knocks on the door. And the man, who's loved dragons his whole life and has this great collection, opens the door, sees a, an actual true dragon. <laughs> and what happens? He screams, <laughs> he slams the door, and he runs away, and he hides under his bed. <laughs> Why? Because he's suspicious of the true dragon. <laughs> what is this true dragon, though? Liberation. Liberation? Just everything as it is. Everything as it is. How about the true dragon being just the ferocity of life. Life and death. On our Han, the, the in implement, the wooden block that is used to call people to the Zendo, it says, life is swiftly passing. Wake up, wake up. Just this moment, or some version of that. It's also said in Zen, practice like your head is on fire. There's this urgency. Don't uh, waste your time in vain. 
Don't spend your time in vain. It says, gain accord with the enlightenment of the Buddhas. Succeed to the legitimate lineage of the ancestors, Samadhi. Constantly perform in such a manner, and you are assured of being a person such as they. Your treasure store will open of itself, and you will use it at will. Your treasure store. This treasure store is like, uh, there's a story in the Lotus Sutra of um, a rich man and his, and his friend who doesn't have any wealth. He uh, sows a, uh, when, the, when his friend is sleeping, the poor man is sleeping, his rich friend sews a precious jewel into his, uh, into his jacket, into the lining of his jacket. He goes off, and uh, the, the poor man goes off not knowing that he has this treasure right there. This is our treasure store. This seeking that we have, that we're afflicted by, right? On the one hand, of course we're seeking, right? It's the seeking that got us here in the first place. It's the, the Buddha trying off on these different practices came out of a sense of dissatisfactoriness, right? That's our life. We go off and we seek. And what do we find? Eventually, we find that we don't need to seek, that we can just turn inside. We can look inside as opposed to externally. That's this treasure store, this treasure store which opens of itself, and you may use it at will. I think this is the dragon, right? The dragon is right here. So on the one hand, there's striving. On the other hand, there's, there's just the ease. Right? And Fukan Zazengi really brings this up, Genjo Koan as well, which we'll chant uh, tomorrow. Right? This ease, the ease of having uh, just this, just this moment. Can we find ease in our own presence? No matter what, we don't need to get caught up in ideas or concepts of enlightenment. And at the same time, we're going to practice really diligently. Every day, every moment, if we can, we're going to aspire to wake up to this right now. But this is also just plain everydayness. We don't need anything, it's not anything special. Absolutely extraordinary in its ordinariness. <clears throat> I'm going to end with one, uh, one more Suzuki Roshi story. If I can find it. Hmm. A clinical psychiatrist. 
questioned Suzuki Roshi about consciousness. He wanted to know about the nature of consciousness. Suzuki Roshi replied, I don't know anything about consciousness. I just try to teach my students how to hear the birds sing. So for those of you who are uh, able to take time out of your uh, schedules to come and sit in silence, putting your body into this posture, opening up to whatever's happening in the moment, uh, moving from one posture into another posture, mindfully, attentively. For those of you who are able to carve out some of your, your time to do this, uh, how wonderful, right? What a wonderful opportunity to practice together, too, right? That's why this is a commemoration of Buddha's awakening. We're doing it together. And for those of you who can't take, uh, carve out time in your, in your lives to, to sit all day long, you can you know, pause and hear the birds sing. You don't need to do anything fancy. You don't need to do anything special. You don't need to, you know, Dogen said, you don't need to go traveling around. You know, what's the use of traveling here and there? Of course, you know, he did. <laughs> Isn't it that way, right? Chris, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to do sit sashin. You don't need to um, carve out time to uh, give up distractions, right? You can do, you know, you can be working away, maybe at your computer or wherever, whatever it is you do, you can always pause. Always. Every moment is available to settle into the very ground of your being without thinking, without conceiving, but just breathing. Breathing, <coughs> attending to what's happening now. Thank you all very much for coming in.